Hello and welcome to the Resilience Research Group's monthly seminar series. Each week we will be joined by a panel of researchers, organisations, health and social care workers and the public to discuss one topic related to resilience. On this week's podcast we will be discussing COVID and individual level resilience. Could this week's panel please introduce themselves to our audience? I'm Dana Fullerton and I've been a research assistant and previous honours student at the University of Sydney for a few years now and my research is focused on individual differences in resilience, resilience in students and this year resilience through COVID. So my name is Lisa Zhang. Um, I'm currently doing my master's um, at UCL in behaviour change so I'm researching um, sustainability domain and behavior change. Um, previously, I um, did my honors um, at the University of Sydney and that was in um, adaptability and, research and resilience. Hi, my name is Sabina Kreitman. I'm associate professor at the University of Sydney School of Psychology. My interest in resilience lies in the area of cognitive fitness and mental well-being. So the first question is quite a broad one. How does Resilience relate to COVID. So we measure mental well-being uh, during the post-lockdown period and the strategic time that we've chosen because we wanted to see uh, whether uh, people recovered from lockdown. So we asked them how they felt during the lockdown and how they're feeling now. And we looked at the difference which we uh, think uh, indexes the recovery in mental resilience from to post lockdown. And we looked at the prediction and we also uh, of uh, recovery mental well-being as the people's attitudes to rules and regulations during the COVID. And uh, both of them predicted uh, mental well-being above and beyond all other factors that we control. Um, the other constructs included uh, the uh, COVID impact, some personality measures, and but be, above and beyond them, this growth in uh, personality growth, uh, in personal strength awareness, um, predicted how well people perceived themselves to recover from uh, in their mental well-being from uh, lockdown to post-lockdown. So regardless of the uh, all situational factors, including positive and negative COVID impact, as well as the key demographics and, every, and a lot of other factors we controlled for, resilience was a, one of the key predictor, positive key predictor, um, or above and beyond uh, of mental well-being. And uh, the COVID-19 character growth self-awareness was uh, the important predictor of recovery and mental well-being. Sabina said that your study um, predicted well-being above and beyond other factors. Could you tell me what other factors you were expecting to be related to well-being and COVID? We looked at um, the individual impact that COVID had on daily life and we also looked at um, people's worry about COVID and different 
things to do with health, to do with finances, to do with the economy and like global recessions and that kind of thing. So those are things that we definitely thought would be related to people's well-being. Um, and then all of the kind of demographic standard things that are strongly related to well-being and all of the established literature like income and living situation and education levels, those kinds of things as well. And uh, why in particular um, did you feel that COVID would impact resilience? Yeah, I think there's two kind of interesting links between resilience and COVID. The first one being that we looked at is kind of the willingness that people have to comply with the restrictive measures because I think if you aren't showing much resilience and you're kind of broken, defeated by the challenges, then you're probably going to be less motivated to continue to comply with the COVID restrictions. And then the second way is to do with how this idea that in a lot of the resilience literature is kind of interested in how resilience develops and this idea that going through challenges builds your resilience and makes you stronger. So that was something that we wanted to look at and did find support for that, that kind of awareness that going through the challenges makes you stronger, makes you more resilient was the best predictor of your wellbeing levels and their recovery of your well-being from you know during the hardest times to post lockdown where in Australia we're very lucky and things are things are much better now yeah just to add to that we we kind of looked into the literature on thriving um and post-traumatic growth which is um essentially a phenomenon where some people actually um, appear to improve in their functioning and well-being. So there's something about those people um, where in the pandemic and responding to adversity and all these challenges, it actually seemed to mobilise some people and they have come away feeling stronger um, or like a deeper awareness of the value of their lives and, and uh, well-being. So that was one of the key areas that we looked into as well. That's great, thank you. And did you find out under what conditions people did or do, did not have that post-traumatic growth? We did look at the relationship between the constructs which we uh, used in the study and the uh, resilience and the other variables. But it, it, it's, we need to look at that closer and more systematically before we can draw any strong conclusions. Um, so you said one of your projects looked at how lockdown recovery occurred. Could you tell me a little bit more about um, what you found about who did and did not recover from lockdown? But basically what we found is that uh, the mental well-being post-lockdown was predicted by a set of variables. They included physical symptoms. So the worst physical symptoms were, it was a negative predictor of their mental well-being. Uh, financial comfort was a positive predictor. Social support is a very known factor for mental well-being. It was 
as expected, a positive social, uh, a positive predictor of mental well-being. But extroversion uh, was a positive predictor, agreeableness uh, personality dimension was a positive predictor, and the intellect personality dimension was also a positive predictor. Neuroticism, as expected, was a negative predictor. Um, it's a very well-known negative predictor of mental well-being. Um, then we have uh, positive COVID impact was a positive predictor, and then negative COVID impact was a negative predictor. Uh, then we also looked at the impulsivity and the lack of self-control, and that was a negative predictor of mental well-being. Um, and then we uh, had an immortal resilience and adaptability, which was a positive predictor of mental well-being. And as the last step, we had COVID-19 character growth awareness variable, which also was a positive predictor. And for recovery, uh, the important predictors, what we, the way we tested it, um, the, the timing, that was when Australia was mostly free of rules and regulations apart, apart of the uh, following hygiene and at some, at some stages wearing masks, uh, but we were out of lockdown, everything was uh, starting to reopen. Um, but one state in Australia, Victoria, was about to go undergo the second lockdown. And uh, when they looked at the recovery and mental well-being, living in Victoria was a negative predictor. And for us, it was a uh, confirmation of the validity of this data, because this is what we expected. Uh, we knew that the state was just about to undergo another lockdown, and obviously that would have impacted on people's recovery uh, as they perceived it. Then positive COVID impact uh, was also a positive predictor of recovery and mental well-being. Extraversion was, conscientiousness was, and then above and beyond of these, fact, uh, of these uh, variables, uh, the COVID-19 character growth self-awareness was a positive predictor. So when we were looking at the recovery of mental well-being, I think it is really interesting that it wasn't the more traditional measure of resilience which kind of captures how you know your self-perceptions of how resilient you think you are in general but it was so that wasn't a significant predictor but it was the the more context specific perspective and awareness that going through these challenges has made you more resilient has made you stronger that was what was important for recovery and mental well-being which kind of highlights that, you know, what a lot of resilience researchers are interested in is what are the mechanisms through which the resilience process occurs. And so I think what we've discovered is that one of the mechanisms in this context is that awareness of how the challenges have made you stronger and how you've grown through them as a person. And that's really interesting because resilience is is generally considered to be something that does grow in response to trauma but i know very few people who've checked whether they you know participants are, are aware of that or not how do you think that might be different to what you might have found if you'd looked at resilience um in the more direct traditional way we did both we looked at both of them so we looked at resilience in the traditional way and then we looked at the uh, character growth 
uh, through the COVID uh, challenges. And uh, for the mental well-being, both of them were predict uh, positive predictors. But for mental pre uh, uh, recovery and mental well-being, it was only that the character growth self-awareness in, in growth in resilience, growth in character, which was predictive in recovery. I think it's essentially uh, has to do with this um, construct called metacognition, which uh, Sabina is an expert in, uh, which is knowing about your own, like your own awareness and your own thoughts and how you're feeling and thinking. Um, so I think people that have come to that realization and an awareness of, hang on a second, I've gone through these challenges. It's actually made me a stronger person. Um, it builds that strength of character and awareness to the point that um, they think, yeah, I can, I can do this. It's, I can do this. It's, um, it's made me a stronger person. I think it's hard to say how much this would generalize to other crises in other contexts because resilience is typically thought of as a very context specific thing, which I think our findings support given that it wasn't how resilient people think they are in general that predicted their recovery and mental well-being because people might have had other experiences that you know made them score highly on the traditional resilience measure and they think of themselves as a very strong person but if they weren't thinking about or aware of how strong they are specifically to do with the pandemic then what our results showed was that that wasn't having too much of an effect in their recovery. So it was that very context specific nature of it. That's great, thank you. Um, I'm also gonna pick up on the results that you mentioned in relation to personality. So you said, for example, that extroversion and agreeableness were related to recovery. And I wondered, I mean, I find that interesting in itself, but since this podcast is, is specifically about resilience, I wondered if you had any feelings on how extroversion and agreeableness might be related not just to recovery, but also to how resilience impacts recovery. The results is extroversion um, are quite fascinating because when we looked at the role of extroversion during the first lockdown, these people actually, people high on extroversion quite struggled quite a bit because their personality, uh, by the power invested in their personality, they, these people draw their energy from being around other people, uh, from uh, being able to socialize, uh, for, they have high need to be around other people. And these people struggled quite a lot to accommodate the uh, social isolation, possibly social distancing maybe, um, but so uh, they struggled. But it played a positive role in mental recovery. And so double-edged sword, so to speak, uh, during the COVID. And I think the way how it helped people, A, in their mental well-being and for recovery is, um, once the law, because we measured uh, mental well-being, then the restrictions were lifted and in Australia and people were out and about. And so extroverts were finally able to fulfill their 
need to be around people, socialize again. Um, and just general nature of extroversion as a personality dimension, they're um, also predisposed these people typically to be more high energy and to have a, a sort of higher positive attitude uh, towards uh, the measured mental well-being as a, using a particular measure. And that measure reflected uh, the um, positive uh, mental well-being state. So agreeableness is another predictor. It predicts uh, the compliance attitude as Agreeableness is all, quite often characterized as a personality dimension, which as a team place. People who hire the agreeableness as team place. Uh, people who take accommodate of the needs of the others are important for them. So we did expect that it be a positive predictor of the attitude towards compliance. Um, the fact that it predicted mental being um, is interesting. How might COVID have impacted resilience? So what situations across COVID do you think might have resulted in increases, decreases or development of resilience that we haven't already mentioned? I think it comes down to the well-known saying, what doesn't kill us makes stronger. And I think uh, in typically, unless people were destroyed uh, by COVID experience, suffered uh, drastically, their job situation drastically, uh, they may find that there is the appreciation that they're stronger than they think that they are and they had the ability to exercise this muscle and this muscle got stronger. Uh, of course, we'll over-exercise the muscle and be very sore and very, uh, it could have, it, it can break us. But as long as it doesn't break us, whatever doesn't break us, doesn't kill us, uh, potentially makes us stronger. And it contributes to the character building, character growth. And for me, that was interesting. It was expected, we hypothesized that for that to happen. Um, and it was uh, interesting that we saw the evidence after controlling for so many things, we saw the evidence for this. I think in, in addition to what Sabine was just saying about uh, like economic factors, like job security and uh, income, um, another one, Another way that COVID has impacted resilience is through um, the social side, so social support. Um, there's a lot of literature on how resilience is closely related to the level of social support. So uh, people that did have, um, didn't experience so much social isolation, they had a strong connection, a strong uh, network and strong bubble. I think those are the people that um, were lucky enough to to not be so impacted and um, yeah, grow resilience through that way. Yeah, I think that the pandemic has given people the opportunity to really see how adaptable they are because we've been faced with this experience where we've kind of had no choice but to adapt. But that firsthand experience is that people are able to actually realise how adaptable they are having gone through it, which they might not have thought in the beginning that they would be able to adapt so quickly but humans are just very adaptable by nature and so it's it's shown people that and made people realize that 
Yeah, so we measured uh, social support and um, in all our past studies, it is, it's always been, um, a, has a strong relationship with resilience. Um, so I think in the context of resilience, it, come, it can come in different forms. So whether it be uh, physical social support, so um, getting help from friends, family or neighbours and helping um, you get groceries or any other medical care if you are vulnerable. So there's that type of social support. There's also emotional social support. So um, having someone to talk to during the day because through lockdown, a lot of people were isolated um, and without social contact, it makes it very difficult to cope. So um, yeah, I think social support is a, is a coping strategy um, because humans are just inherently social. Um, and I think it's made all of us realize how important um, social contact is. How can we support people's resilience over COVID? What do you think we could do to uh, help people either maintain or gain resilience across COVID for the countries that are still experiencing it? Uh, that's a very hard question. Um, there's so many things that, you know, the government could do, um, that individuals can do themselves. So in, for example, in terms of the government, um, that could be things like economic support. So um, having adequate uh, income that covers their income lost whilst they're self-isolating or things like that. So simple things like that can um, remove the burden um, associated with economic income. Other things uh, that individuals can do themselves are um, to is to keep in check with their mental well-being. One thing that comes to mind for me is just the idea of common humanity that this isn't an individual thing. It's not something we're going through alone. So I think that idea of common humanity, which you know relates to other constructs and psychology research like self-compassion and other things in in positive psychology that it's not something we have to face alone. So I think that helps. And that concludes the time we have for today's podcast. I'd like to thank our panel once again for being here and sharing their points of view. And thanks to you, our audience, for listening. Please join us again next month where we will be discussing COVID and individual level resilience. The Resilience Research Group is a global group of researchers, practitioners, charities and organisations dedicated to developing high-quality collaborative resilience research. Our aims are to improve access to, understanding of and quality of resilience research and to support and aid our members in effectively developing and disseminating their research. To find out more or to get involved, contact us on Twitter or LinkedIn.